Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, go out into the world and proclaim the good news. But today, there are still more than 2 billion people who have yet to hear the hope of the gospel. Since 1933, Blackrock Church has been urgent in reaching out with the proclamation of the gospel to those who have yet to hear it. Working with over 86 global partners, serving in 33 different countries, reaching over 10 million people. Today, we are most active in the 1040 window, the rectangular area of North Africa, the Middle East, and Asia, home to some of the largest unreached people groups, forbidden to hear the gospel. So we will remain steadfast with Jesus' proclamation until all have heard the gospel. This has been quite a year. The mission conference was scheduled to be March 14 through 22. We had missionaries and our global partners from throughout the world already on airplanes coming to us. And three days prior to the conference, we determined that we had to postpone the conference. Little did we know that it would be four months before I would be standing before you. In that four months, we have seen the world ravaged with the virus. We have seen the Black Lives Matter movement need a needed call for racial justice, schools closing, economic uncertainty. Everything seems to be in flux. Four months ago, I thought I'd be on my sailboat on a day like this, just enjoying my retirement. Much has changed. But the events of the past few months has caused me to examine my life and to ponder a question as I look at my life now and as I look into my life in the future. And the question I ask myself is, what drives me? What gives me ambition? What gives me a trajectory? If I was asked to do one of those TED Talks where they allow you 18 minutes to explain what's your ambition, what's your goal in life, what would I say in those 18 minutes? For some of us this morning, in our 18 minutes, we might say that uh, part of our goal is to gain power or prestige. Alexander the Great, after conquering all the known world, is said to have said uh, while he was in India, a great lament but I have no worlds to conquer. Or maybe your TED Talk would be a desire for social justice, and you think of Martin Luther King's talk, I have a dream. Or maybe you'd think of Congressman John Lewis and say, well, I, I want to emulate a, a great, a, my great desire for racial justice and social equality in our country. Or maybe you would say, well, my goal in my TED Talk would be to gain wealth. Maybe you think of John D. Rockefeller, the richest man at that time in the world, and was asked, how much money is enough? He responded, just a little bit more. For many of us, I think our TED Talk might be just a, a desire, a hope, to return to a, a normal world, our normal environment. Or maybe that simply our families would not get the COVID virus. Today, I invite you to look back 2,000 years and ponder what, Apostle, what the Apostle Paul might have placed in his TED Talk. If he had 18 minutes to address the entire world, what would he say? What drove him? What compelled him? Bill Barker and I just finished a class entitled Radical Paul, an ownership class. 
And one thing you can say about Paul is he was a radical personality. He had a radical personality. He had direction. He had ambition. The book of Acts records for us what we call three missionary journeys. As he leaves on his first one from Antioch, he travels 1,400 miles before returning to Jerusalem. His second journey, he travels 2,800 miles. In his third missionary journey, he travels 2,700 miles. So in those three missionary journeys, he travels over uh, 6,900 miles. It is 2,789 miles from New York to Los Angeles. So it would be similar of, of him traveling from New York to L.A. and then back to New York. And never once does he call an Uber for a ride. And these three extended missionary journeys, these three colossal trips were not easy. He records for us in the second uh, Corinthians, the 11th chapter, verse 24. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I have been beaten by rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I have been shipwrecked. I spent a day and a night in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen. On and on, Paul goes. He's had this dramatic encounter with Christ as recorded in Acts, the ninth chapter. That becomes the bedrock of what he's doing, but he has this ambition, this goal to travel throughout the then Roman Empire and to establish churches. Why was he driven? Why was he driven to go to odd places? He gives us the answer to that in the end of Romans. He writes to the church at Rome, although he's not been to Rome, he's on his way to Rome. He hopes it's during his second missionary journey. He writes this letter from Corinth. If you follow the timeline, he will get to Rome, but not of his own volition. He'll be taken there by Roman authorities and under the threat of being executed. In the end of Romans, however, he writes in the 15th chapter, verse 20, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ has not been known, so I will not be building on someone else's foundation. Paul goes on to cite a passage in the Old Testament taken from Isaiah, the 52nd chapter, verse 15. These words were written 700 years before Paul recalls them. And so Isaiah writes, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. Paul goes on in the remainder of the chapter to talk about his ambition, his goal, his head point if I can use that term, he is going to go to Rome. But that's not his ultimate goal. It's only a waypoint. Verse 24 gives us the clue as to what drives him. I plan to do so. That's visit you when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while I am passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there. So why is it important for Paul to go to Spain? Why is this one of the compelling things in his life? Simply because there is no church in Spain. There is no proclamation of the gospel, the good news in the context of the people in Spain. There is no church. I want to ask you a second question this morning. 
When did you first hear the gospel? If you are a Christ follower here this morning, when did you understand and accept Christ into your life? Who told you about Jesus? For some of us, it was probably our parents if we grew up in a home where our parents were Christians. For others, it may have been the Sunday school teacher or a friend, or maybe we just heard a podcast or a, or an adult told us about Jesus. Or maybe you were traveling and there was a Gideon Bible in your uh, room and you picked it up and started to read that. And Or maybe you heard about Jesus on a radio or on a TV ad or through an app that you have in your phone. Or maybe there was a wind just blowing down uh, where you were standing on the railroad uh, station waiting for a train and you picked up a piece of paper. We call it a track. And you started to read that and you became a Christian. But for most of us, someone told us about Jesus. Paul has a burning desire to go to Spain because there are people in Spain, the fringes of the Roman Empire, that have never heard about Jesus, never heard of the cross, the resurrection, the gospel, in their land, in their own culture. And so he's willing to go through all the shipwrecks, all the beatings, all the fearful nights and hot days, the hunger and pain, to take the gospel where Jesus is not known. Let me introduce you, or probably reintroduce you, to a missiological, geographical term we call the 1040 window. It's a rectangular box on the globe that starts in North Africa, 10 degrees north to 40 degrees north. It travels all the way across North Africa, and then across Asia, through Asia, and then on into Japan and ends in Indonesia. In that box, that 1040 window, lives a third of the world's population. Dan Scribner has given us a graph, uh, a graphic view of the 1040 window. On that, you'll note that it lists the animists and the atheists, and then the three largest religious blocks that are often very difficult for the gospel to reach out to the Buddhists, the Hindus, and the Islamic faith. The people in this 1040 window have little or no access to the gospel, no opportunity for someone to come of their own culture, in their own context, and to tell them about Jesus. The border has grappled with something I call the fairness factor. The fairness factor simply is this. Is it fair that over 2 billion people, almost a third of the 7.1 billion people who live or are alive today, just because of where they were born, to have no or little access to the gospel? Your Board of Missions has grappled with the 1040 window and with the fairness factor, and they've established four strategic goals, four priorities for our missions program here at the church. The first is to take the gospel to those who have the least access to the gospel. The second is to take the gospel to the poorest of the poor. The third is to take the gospel to people that are powerless and often exploited. And the fourth is to take the gospel 
to our local university students and to the children and families at risk in our community. We don't have time today to delve into all four of the priorities, but the first priority is first for a reason. And that is that we think that's the heart and soul of what the gospel is all about. It is Paul's driving force and ought to be the driving force of our mission conferences and our missions program into our future to take the gospel to people that have little or no access to that gospel. This past year, God gave Susan and me our sixth and seventh grandchild. Eliza Vales and Kayla Fullerton were joined Elijah Grant and Silas and Linnea Connect in Nora Fullerton. Because Eliza and Kayla were born to Christian parents, if God gives those little girls long life, they will hear the gospel several times. Their parents will tell them about Jesus. They can go to a Christian church. They can be involved in the kids program. When we become adolescents, they can go to a youth program. They can hear about Jesus in the radio or through a podcast or through a friend. Just because they were born in America to Christian parents. Eliza and Kayla have to make their own choice to follow Jesus. They can be influenced, but the choice is theirs. But none of these options are open to people in that 1040 window. At least it's seldom open to them, if available at all. We are told that 138 million children will be born this next year, 2020, in the 1040 window. And is it fair that those children have no no opportunity to hear the gospel in their own culture, in their own language? I've been a pastor for 45 years. Most of the time, I've been a missions pastor. I've served in two great churches, College Church in Wheaton, Illinois, and my greatest thrill right here at Black Rock Church. I visited 39 different countries. I've led between 40 and 45 stamp trips. But there is one image that is indelibly printed on my mind. It took place in northern Sudan. Actually, it was the southern part of Sudan, the northern part of the southern part. And I was there when there was a great uh, rebellion between the north and the south. It's the place where Vicki Beattie, where the women heard of, of her involvement this past Saturday. But the thing that's on my mind is a picture of a telephone pole. There's one telephone pole that's blazingly hot. There's no shade. We're out kind of in a, in a desert situation. We brought food with World Relief, a humanitarian organization, and we brought a truckload of food. But on this one day in the Sudan, in this, on this telephone pole, there's cast of a shadow, the only shadow in the entire environment. And as I look at that, I see that there are 16 women standing along that shadow. I know because I counted them. But what's amazing to me is as I look at those 
women, I realize that every one of them is holding a baby, an infant. But what's so amazing to me is that the infants, every one of them, has either red or yellow hair. And the faces are all black. So I turn to one of the health workers and I say, why are all those all those babies, why do they have yellow or red hair? And she says to me, Larry, every one of those babies is a product of hunger. They are malnourished. Their mothers have not eaten for so many days that their breasts can no longer give milk. And each one of those babies they're not taken to an IV intensive care unit or they're not given an IV transfusion, they have two weeks to live. They are going to starve to death. And I, to this day, I remember thinking, what can we do? We have no IV fluids with us. The nearest intensive care unit is 500 miles away through a war zone. And each one of those little infants, they're going to die within two weeks. And they have not had the opportunity to hear about Jesus. And most of their mothers, being Muslims, they have never heard about Jesus. Now, I love my grandkids, all seven of them. But the fairness factor asked me, is it fair that each of those seven grandkids will have multiple opportunities to hear the gospel? Yet, millions of children will become adults and never hear the gospel in their own language, in their own culture. The Board of Missions has grappled with this fairness factor, with the 1040 window, with what's going on in the world. They have established two areas that we're going to concentrate our resources in. First of all, North Africa, in the countries of Algeria and Morocco and Tunisia and Mali and Egypt and northern Nigeria and southern Sudan. But we've also made a commitment to Central Asia to go into the former Soviet Union bloc with the gospel. We just sent Pastor Steve to North Africa to help us strategize as to how we can best do this. Paul's ambition is to take the gospel to the fringes of the Roman Empire, where there is no church. And that's our ambition. That's our calling. Two billion people, no access to the gospel. The World Health Organization says that 43,000 people will die each day. If they are born in the 1040 window, they will probably die without ever hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. 1,800 per hour. Every eight seconds, excuse me, every two seconds, 
A child can die having never heard the gospel. The fairness factor. Well, you may ask, why doesn't God do something about this? Why doesn't he act? Well, he has. God has act, acted. He sent his son. And his son came to earth and died on a cross for our sins. Rose again the third day. But then he did an amazing thing. He transferred his reputation to the actions of the church. We are the vehicle that Christ has commissioned to take the gospel throughout the world. Acts 1.8, a small group of, of disciples. Jesus has died. He's risen from the dead, but they still don't know what's going on. In Acts 1.8, Jesus comes to them and says to them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. But it doesn't stop there. He says to this small group of people, to the ends of the earth. Paul's desire to go to Spain is his desire to give people hope. You and I have the privilege of being part of what God's doing in the world. As we concentrate on the 1040 window, the people with least access to the gospel. But I have great news. We are the first generation that has the technology and the means to reach into all of the 1040 window. I have in my hand a, an iPhone. You probably have one like this. You know when Steve Jobs presented this to the population in America. June 27, 2007. I know that's a date because I asked Siri on my phone, when did Steve Jobs present the iPhone to the population, to the public? Matter of fact, I didn't believe it. I had to look it up two or three times. It's only been 13 years that we've had the iPhone. And look how it's changed things. And now we have devices on the internet and satellite TV and all kinds of means to reach into North Africa and to reach into India to reach those people who have never heard the gospel before. A little over a year ago, I was leading a stamp trip to Nigeria to work with two of our missionaries, uh, Peter and Miriam Fretime. Of course, of that stamp team, I met a missionary, not from our church, and he, he showed me this little gadget. It's called a, a solar audio player. And he said, on this little gadget, there's the entire New Testament and a, much of the Old Testament in the language of Hausa, the Falanis, French, and English. And it's solar-powered, and so it never needs to be recharged. And, and the people and the missionaries and the people in Nigeria are given this scores of these to people, Fulanis, Muslims, 
people that are traders, nomads, kind of traveling around, but they can, they can take the Bible with them. And maybe one day they'll, they, they show them how to use it. One day they'll flick it and hear about Jesus. The missionary sold it to me for $20. He said, well, only for $20 you can buy three, but for one it costs you $20. You're a rich American. Give me 20 bucks and I'll... I'll You'll donate two, uh, two other ones to missionaries or the local church. What a great opportunity. The progress of the gospel has been staggering. There's great news about what God is doing in the world, even in the last century. In 1900, 54.6% of the world's population had never heard about Jesus. 54.6%. 120 years later, that number has dropped to 29.2%. The number of people has gone from half the world's population to a third of the population. That's remarkable progress. David Greeson, in a book, A Wind in the House of Islam, has documented that in the past 20 years, more Muslims have come to Christ than in the 1,400 years before that. In the last 20 years, more Muslims have come to Christ than in the previous 1,400 years. There is great hope if we are diligent. I close with one of my favorite stories. It's about a revivalist preacher. His name is Billy Sunday. He was quite a character, and one day as he was speaking on sin, he really got wound up. And he said this, listen, I am against sin. I will kick it as long as I have a foot. I will fight it as long as I have a fist. I will butt it as long as I have a head. I will bite it as long as I have a tooth. And when I am old and fistless, footless, toothless, I'll gum it to death till I go home to glory and it goes home to perdition. And I say to you, Black Rock Church, even in the midst of all the calamities going on in this world right now, let's not forget those people with least access to the gospel. And as we continue our fight, we may lose some of our capacity to kick, some of our capacity to bite. But when everything is said and done, let's hang on with our gums until we finish the task of taking the gospel throughout the world. You know, I've been your mission pastor for 23 years, since 1997 been a great privilege, great joy. The joy of my life has been this church and you, my friends. Thank you for allowing me to serve here. Susan thanks you. But I'm so grateful that we have a new missions pastor who is vibrant. Jeremy Taylor is the man for the job. He's got great gums. He's going to hang on to this. He's going to take us into new fields. But now he's going to come and talk about our faith, progress, faith promise program as we seek to go, to pray, 
and to give. Jeremy, God bless you. You're on. At BlackRock, we all get to support missions through the faith promise. For 60 plus years, families at BlackRock have filled out a faith promise saying that they support our global partners throughout the world. And we support them through praying, giving, and going. Do you know that we support 86 global partners in 33 countries reaching 10 million people? So when you pray, when you give, when you go, we're supporting all of them in their work. I want you to hear right now about what we were able to do this last year in Jordan and Nigeria. At the beginning when the first Assyrian came to Jordan, the, the main concerns they had like, this is a new country, we don't know anything, we left our homes, all our stuff back there. So they're, they were about survival, like they didn't have anything and they just want to live their lives. We thought education was the key. Because of the war, we were left with a gap of five years, no education for Syrians. The kids grow up physically, but educationally they're still on the same level. So we started to do what we call clubs, educational clubs. So what I really love about World Relief is that they, they step into that gap. Uh, even though these kids aren't able to get a great education, they, they walk right in and they, they do intervene of, of wanting to educate these kids, not only in Arabic, but also in English. I Having proficiency in English allows them to pass a test which allows them to study outside of the country. So going to universities in other countries, speaking English, it, it allows them opportunities to work abroad and to potentially start a life in a more stable economic situation. So just a, a better future. They are from five-year-olds, they are taking the English classes and we have even up to 65-year-olds they have the classes. They are uh, passionate about learning the English language. American come here it's a, a good teacher for language English. I'm so happy before I'm talking English because it's something so good for me. If I show them that learning English is something that's joyful and something that's uh, just a, a fun process, they're going to be more likely to learn it. For me to watch Lias come up and be joyful and to run and to laugh and to make fun of me just brought me so much joy that he now tomorrow is excited to come and knowing that he's going to have a good time and that English is something that's fun. Maybe you know the rest of their days are really stressful or they're, it's really hard on them to be at home. Um, it's a time for them to enjoy being a kid, to enjoy playing soccer, to have lunch with their friends and just to learn together and I, I love what they're doing here. On one of our last stamp trips to Nigeria, our team encountered a problem. A prison with limited access to the gospel was having major issues with access to clean water. 
crumbling infrastructure and damaged holding tanks were unrepairable. After many talks with the warden and much prayer, we made a decision. Black Rock Church, through our faith promise giving, decided to build a new well, install new piping, and greatly expand stored water capacity with two new holding tanks. Meeting basic needs of the inmates has helped uh, provide care and education that will eventually reduce recidivism rates within the prison. It has literally opened up opportunities for our ministry partners to take the gospel into the prison walls and meet the spiritual needs of prisoners and staff. When you look at uh, Matthew 25, 31, it's very instructive. I was in prison and he visited me. And that is the effort that people have been doing. So you're coming has something to do with the Bible. You have brought the word of God powerfully. Many inmates have benefited from your services, holistically, spiritually, materially, and otherwise. Wow. Thank you, BlackRock, for your heart for ministry. The prisons lacked water supply, but your support has brought water into the Correctional Service Center. Water is life, and we are providing it. So your coming is providing life. You know, church, these two stories are just a small fraction of all the amazing things that we are doing to impact the world for Jesus. We get to play a part in missions by you signing up to pray and to give. If you have not signed up already to be a prayer partner, please go to brc.church slash I will pray. Now, all of us have an opportunity to impact the world through giving. This next year, we hope that we can give $1.2 million to our faith promise. That takes you and me and us joining together to say, I will be generous with giving to our faith promise here at BlackRock. So right now, Take out your phone, go on your computer, go to brc.church, I will give. Make a pledge today to be generous with what we're doing in Jordan, in Nigeria, in Yemen, in China, in Brazil, and the 28 other countries that we're impacting. We can all make a difference, and we all have the privilege to give to what we're doing throughout the world. Your pledge might be $1 a day, it might be 10 times that, you might give every week or every month, but be generous because your generosity helps people who have never heard about Jesus hear his name this year. So church, we are about missions. We are all about joining together to impact our world. So please submit a pledge today to say, I will give generously to what we're doing. Go to brc.church, I will give right now. And when you do that, you know that your giving will impact the world for Jesus. There's nothing better that we can be generous to than being generous to bringing Jesus to our world. Hey, thank you so much for being a part of our church and being a part of our missions conference this year. It looked very different. It was different for all of us, including myself, but we all get to be a part of what we're doing 
by praying and giving. So support us, support what we're doing, and know that you personally are making a difference for Jesus in the world. Have a great week.